This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, March 22nd. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. Well, the name Michael Lindell may not ring a bell, but if you watch Fox News, you've probably seen him. He's the CEO of MyPillow. I had the chance to talk to Michael at CPAC about his journey from drug addiction to freedom and faith, and also his newfound political voice. Today, we'll share that interview. Plus, a new study finds that trigger warnings are pretty much useless. We'll discuss. By the way, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving a review or a five-star rating on iTunes, and please subscribe. And a quick announcement. Kate Trinko, my co-host, has been promoted to editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal. Kate, congratulations. Thanks, Daniel. I'm excited. And now, on to our headlines. President Trump signed an executive order Thursday intended to use tax dollars to promote free speech at public universities. In America, the very heart of the university's mission is preparing students for life as citizens in a free society. But even as universities have received billions and billions of dollars from taxpayers, many have become increasingly hostile to free speech and to the First Amendment. You see it all the time. You turn on the news and you see things that are horrible. You see people being punched hard in the face. But he didn't go down. I said, you have a better chin than Muhammad Ali, and he had a <laughs> And you see the cowbell scene. You saw that horrible scene. That was a disgraceful thing at a school, at a university. Under the guise of speech codes and safe spaces and trigger warnings, these universities have tried to restrict free thought, impose total conformity, and shut down the voices of great young Americans like those here today. It's great people. All of that change is starting right now. We're dealing with billions and billions and billions of dollars. Taxpayer dollars should not subsidize anti-First Amendment institutions, and that's exactly what they are, anti-First Amendment. Universities that want taxpayer dollars should promote free speech, not silence free speech. Today's groundbreaking action is the first in a series of steps we will take to defend students' rights. The Heritage Foundation's Jonathan Butcher says in a statement, the administration's executive order has the right balance. It addresses an urgent problem, free speech that is increasingly threatened on campuses across the country, while reining in the potential for federal government overreach. Federal agencies will now be responsible for protecting free expression while staying within the bounds of existing law as directed in this order. Also on Thursday, President Trump signals support for Israeli sovereignty over the long-disputed Golan Heights territory, which lies between Israel and Syria. Israel has occupied the Golan Heights ever since Syria used it to stage attacks on Israel during the Six-Day War in 1967. President Trump tweeted, quote, After 52 years, it is time for the United States to fully recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. 
which is of critical strategic and security importance to the state of Israel and regional stability, end quote. Well, that tweet comes ahead of a planned visit to Washington by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu next week and ahead of the Israeli election, which is set for April 9th. Netanyahu's future has seemed in doubt lately in light of corruption allegations, though Trump's announcement could give him a critical boost. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced an extensive ban on guns in the wake of the terrorist attack that devastated the country. Via the Associated Press... Today I'm announcing that New Zealand will ban all military-style semi-automatic weapons. We will also ban all assault rifles. We will ban all high-capacity magazines. We will ban all parts with the ability to convert semi-automatic or any other type of firearm into a military-style semi-automatic weapon. We will ban parts that cause a firearm to generate semi-automatic, automatic or close to automatic gunfire. In short, every semi-automatic weapon used in the terrorist attack on Friday will be banned in this country. It's about all of us. It's in the national interest and it's about safety. Some Americans applauded New Zealand's move. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat of New York, tweeted, Christchurch happened and within days New Zealand acted to get weapons of war out of the consumer market. This is what leadership looks like. Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, tweeted, This is what real action to stop gun violence looks like. We must follow New Zealand's lead, take on the NRA, and ban the sale and distribution of assault weapons in the United States. Well, the ISIS caliphate is no more. Fox News reported on Thursday that the last ISIS stronghold in Syria has been liberated by U.S.-backed forces, bringing to an end the four-and-a-half-year reign of terror that once engulfed the region. None of the caliphate's main leaders have been captured alive, though tens of thousands of ISIS fighters are now being held in prison camps. The local Syrian defense forces plan to prosecute them. But fears remain over what may remain of ISIS's ideology, despite its military defeat. As the caliphate weakened in recent months, its leaders urged supporters to launch insurgent strikes in foreign countries, feeding concern that the ideology that drove ISIS has yet to be defeated. The House Oversight Committee, led by Democrat Representative Elijah Cummings of Maryland, is saying that White House officials are violating the rules when it comes to email. According to the committee, Abby Lowell, a lawyer for Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, says Kushner has used WhatsApp for government-related communications, and Ivanka Trump has not forwarded all government-related emails sent to her personal email to her official email. The committee also alleges that Steve Bannon, former advisor to President Trump, and KT McFarland, former deputy national security advisor, quote, conducted official business on their personal email accounts relating to transfer of sensitive U.S. nuclear technology to Saudi Arabia, end quote. Cummings is asking the White House to provide documents related to these concerns by March 28th. Well, Jimmy Carter this week became the oldest man to have held the presidency, surpassing George H.W. Bush, who passed away last fall at the age of 94 years and five months. Carter surpassed that age on Thursday, and he's still very active. In probably one of the bluest cities in America, plenty of people don't think they can afford to live there. Four out of 10 New Yorkers don't think they can afford to live in New York State, according to a new Quinnipiac poll. According to Investopedia, the average rent for an apartment in Manhattan is $3,667 a month 
And the average apartment size is 703 feet, hardly enough for a family. Well, Jordan Peterson has never been one to kowtow to anyone's ideology, and that's getting him into trouble with the University of Cambridge. Earlier this week, Cambridge canceled Peterson's visiting fellowship at its Divinity School following an outcry from students. A Cambridge spokesperson told The Guardian that the school is, quote, an inclusive environment, and we expect all our staff and visitors to uphold our principles. There is no place here for anyone who cannot, end quote. Well, Peterson has made a living going after just that kind of political correctness, selling out stadiums around the world with his talks on personal responsibility, religion, and psychology. And uh, Kate, I actually checked his tour last year. It was all pretty much sold out. This year, there's not much of a tour on his website. So maybe this uh, this canceled fellowship will give him some more tour time. Yeah, and actually, if you're a big fan of Jordan Peterson, the Heritage Foundation is hosting him in New York City on April 2nd. So be sure to check out that event. Well, up next, my interview with CEO of MyPillow, Michael Lindell. Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court. Well, I'm joined here at CPAC by Michael Lindell. You may have seen him uh, on uh, the numerous commercials uh, on the Fox News Channel. He is CEO of My Pillow Incorporated. And uh, Michael, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here. This is amazing. So, Michael, um, you've got a, such a such a story to tell um, about how you got in, you became an entrepreneur and then became uh, entered politics. Um, before we get into some of your recent involvements, I know you're, you're, you've helped finance a pro-life movie. Uh, we're going to talk about that. But I want to ask you first, um, how did you become an entrepreneur? Well, I, I've always been an entrepreneur. It goes back, I think I, my first two jobs were at a drive-in theater and a, and a grocery store. And uh, I actually ended up getting fired at the grocery store. There were different <laughs> things that, I, uh, that I'd get in an argument with the owner. And he said, if you don't like it, Mike, why don't you go get your own uh, business someday and you can do what you want. Well, then I started doing uh, different things. My sister flooded a two-story building uh, with her waterbed and I became a carpet cleaner. So I started just... Uh, um, my entrepreneur, you'd see a problem, I would find a solution, reverse engineer it, and start it. So I had lunch wagon business. I, um, I raised pigs at one time. I had uh, um, the carpet cleaning. I had small town bars and uh, um, just a lot of different entrepreneurial things. I never worked for anybody after that time. <laughs> uh, and then my pillow. How did that get started? My pillow came in 2004. I had a dream. I was uh, um, a dream, and I believe it came right from God. I actually dreamt up the name first. There weren't any mys back then, and uh, that I know of. And uh, I wrote my pillow all over the upstairs and, and different uh, ways to write it. And one of my daughters came upstairs. She says, "Dad, what are you doing?" She's like 10, 11 years old. And I go, "I'm going to invent this pillow. It's going to be called my pillow. It's going to change the world." And she grabbed her glass of water at two in the morning. She says, "That's really random, Dad." And went back downstairs. <laughs> Wow, how about that? And then, all, and then all these years later, you're yeah. You're... It came. It took about a year and a half to invent. When I finally got invented, I was turned down everywhere. I didn't give up, um, and I ended up doing home shows and fairs for years. And um, I lost everything. I, I was also a crack cocaine addict. I don't know a lot of people don't know that. And I was free to that by the grace of God on January 16, two thousand nine. 
when I went to do our first infomercial, I said, if nobody's going to take us at the box stores and stuff, why don't I bring it right to the people? And I did an infomercial. I said, I want it to be real. I want it to be a real audience, just me and a friend of mine. And I was told by everybody, though, that'll never work. You got to have an actor and all this stuff. And and uh, the night before, they brought in this producer, and he's, he's texting the other guy when we were doing our reads. He said, this guy is the worst I've ever seen. He's never going to make it. He's uh, this. Why did you even bring me up here? And uh, well, the next day we did it, and he was kind of right. It took nine takes for the first line, and finally I said, "Can you bring in a table, and we'll take down the teleprompter? I just want to do it naturally." And we did it, and uh, aired October seventh, two thousand eleven. I had about ten employees, and forty days later, I had five hundred. Wow. Well, that's, I'd say that I'd say that's success. I'd say that's working. Yeah, it was amazing. So, tell me about your transition into you know speaking on politics. Uh, you obviously I, businessman, but how did how did that transition? Yeah, happen? What I did is um, I, in the summer of 2015, when Donald Trump announced he was running for president, I that sparked my interest. I was the next addict, crack addict. I didn't I didn't know anything about politics, but I saw I looked up and uh, you know all these things to study what it was then. Uh, you know what's a liberal, what's a conservative. I had no idea. I know what I am. I mean I can't believe what a divide there is of the common sense versus what works and. And then uh, it got to be a bunch of divine appointments that year. In in the summer of 2016, I got an email inviting me by Donald Trump to meet him at Trump Tower in New York City on August 15, 2016. And I went there with hope. I walked in, I met him for probably a half hour, 40 minutes. We talked about everything from God to inner cities to the foundation thing I was working on, my addiction platform. Uh, he talked about, Mike, I'm so proud of your made in America. This is what I want. I want to bring the jobs back. I walked out of there and I said, this guy is going to be the best president in history. And I, But I, you know, for me to go all in, I still did one more thing. I went and talked to his employees. They were like talking to a MyPillow employee. I've never seen that in another company. You can really judge a, uh, the company's owner or the owner of the CEO by, by their employees, how well they like him and what they do. And his employees, every one of them was saying, the guy's, he is the real deal. He's going to get it done. And I'll tell you what, I'm so proud of everything he's done. I, I feel like uh, I see my friends all the time. I say, I told you, I told you. <laughs> well, what kind of responses have you gotten from folks, uh, you know, from your support? Have you gotten backlash? Oh, yeah. Right away when I went all in after that meeting, I, uh, I had an, um, the Better Business Bureau gate went from an A-plus to an F for my pillow. I was attacked in every which way you could imagine. And uh, But you know what? All it did was raise my popularity because I, it's what I believe in. I've done my due diligence. You're not changing my mind. He was picked by God for such a time as this, and I know that with all my heart. Now it doesn't happen anymore where they're, you know, they're going, uh, oh, that's just Mike. He's gonna, he's not going to change. He's got the president's back. And, I, and, uh, and you know what? I hear it from people all the time. Out of 1,000 people, 998 will come up to me and say, wow, Mike, way to back our president. He's the greatest president. We're praying for him. And, and maybe one or two will come up and go, we love what you're doing, Mike, but uh, you're aligning yourself with this, uh, the worst person. And uh, I'll start telling them about him, and they'll run away going, you know, look around like they're the, they're the only one in the room. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest and the most important change that he's brought to America? 
I think he's gotten rid of political correctness. I think that was horrible, the direction that was going. I, when I, uh, I think that he's brought consumer confidence back at an all-time high, which is so important. The, jo- the jobs he's brought back, the economy, uh, gas low, stock market high. But entrepreneurs like myself out there taking chances now because they can. They have a safety net. There's careers being formed out there, higher wages. I mean, I, I, I could go on and on and on. Everything he's done, promises made, promises kept. The guy is absolutely absolutely amazing. It's a businessman. He's a pragmatic, conservative, amazing common sense president. That's what we've always needed. Well, I've also got to ask you about the movie that you've helped finance, uh, Unplanned, coming out later in March, I believe? Uh, March 29th. March 29th. So how did you get involved in that? Yeah, that was last spring, and uh, these producers reached out to me and said, uh, yeah, Mike, we... uh, uh, they got a hold of me. Said we prayed about this, and you're, they, uh, you're gonna. We'd like you to be in our movie. Um, and I said, well, what's it about? They told me it's about a true story of this Abby Johnson that was a director at Planned Parenthood, and she she left there after a couple, two, three, four, five, however many years. And when she finally seen the horrible things that were going on, and she's seen a real live later term abortion, and she just couldn't. You know, when she left, she was. Um, gone after by them and it was a, it's a very powerful true story and I said you know what I'm not just going to have a cameo I'm going to back this movie with the finance and we filmed it in a secret place in Oklahoma I believe it was and we uh um, it was very, I didn't, I didn't realize how, what great timing right yeah. now with what's going on. That's God's timing. You can't even make this up. It's coming out March 29th and yeah. all these terrible things going on where, where um, they're killing babies and coming up with this thing even after they're, you know, even after they're born now. I mean, how horrific. Yeah. Well, I understand that they've given the movie an R rating. How yeah, did that happen? Yeah, this R rating. I mean, it's just That's another That's from the Hollywood attack. folks, right? What? That's from the Hollywood people? Yeah, they, Hollywood people. They give it an R. And you know what? I, I sit back and I look again, like, you know, you, you, your 15-year-old can, can go get an abortion without permission from their parents, but they have to go to go see this movie. They need to go with their parents. What is wrong with this? You know, do you talk about a block and resistance and everything, you know, it says uh, everything good that seems that comes our way that the, um, the evil and... Uh, you know, wants to destroy it. Well, the movie comes out March 29th, correct? Ninth, March 29th. Yeah, March 29th. Everybody go their the opening day. You know, I, I want the message to get out there. For me, this has such a powerful message. I want it to change hearts and help stop this horrific abortions going on in our country. And hopefully the, the all these seeds will be planted in a, in a huge way. And uh, we'll all unite together, change other people's hearts, and get this stopped. Absolutely. Well, Michael Lindell, CEO of MyPillow, thanks for taking the time to sit down. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Do you have an opinion that you'd like to share? I'm Rob Bluey, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Signal, and I'm inviting you to share your thoughts with us. Leave us a voicemail at 202-608-6205 or email us at letters at dailysignal.com. Yours could be featured on The Daily Signal podcast. A new study done by professors from the University of Waikido and the John Jay College at City University of New York found trigger warnings aren't particularly useful. Quote, 
from the study. Trigger warnings had trivial effects. People reported similar levels of negative effect, intrusions, and avoidance, regardless of whether they had received a trigger warning. Moreover, these patterns were similar among people with a history of trauma. These results suggest a trigger warning is neither meaningfully helpful nor harmful, end quote. The study was published in Clinical Psychological Science. Daniel, what do you think? So I kind of think that trigger warnings have always been kind of a, you know, way of covering yourself if people get upset. So you can just say, well, I gave you a trigger warning, so you should have left the room or covered your ears or something. I don't know. I just, it always, I mean, I think most people would admit it's, it's, it's been, it's superficial, you know, um, but, but I don't know, maybe, uh, I'd be curious though, if this is covering people who, uh, the point of a trigger warning is to kind of like leave, right. Or to cover your ears or something. If you think you're going to be offended. I thought it was more, cause I was actually looking up like an old op-ed in the New York times from 16 or 15 by a professor to try to remember like, yeah, all the thinking behind this. And they were saying it wasn't for someone to leave, but to sort of mentally steal themselves. themselves. Yeah. Like there is going to be something upsetting and it's going to involve this. And actually sort of along the lines I was thinking was she, I believe that it was a female professor mentioned like she might, for instance, note that there is going to be a vivid description of a sexual assault and something. And I don't know. I went to a very conservative college where we basically didn't read anything published past 1950, but why do students necessarily need to read this? Like that was sort of, I was thinking in a weird way, like why, I mean, all these things, if you're having trigger warnings for like, you know, the Western classics or something, that's one thing, but you know, a lot of modern art and literature and movies, I think is too graphic. And it sort of made me wonder, like maybe it's fair that it's psychologically harmful to some people. Yeah. So I wonder what they're, you know, what people would respond with like, okay, we have this study, Instead of trigger warnings, should we just, well, I mean, what do you do? You tell people to, <laughs> if you think you're going to be offended by this, then don't read it or don't watch it. Because we've sort of had like a version of trigger warnings for a long time, which is, you know, viewer discretion advised, that kind of thing. You know, that, I mean, at least I grew up with that. But I think that's like a, an actual helpful warning because, you know, you're going to keep your kids from watching. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I, I never was against trigger warnings in the same way a lot of people were. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I thought they were a great idea, but I mean, if they're not really helpful, then I certainly see the argument for not necessarily bringing them up. I mean, I guess long-term I'm not an expert in uh, trauma or PTSD, but I assume it would be building up resiliency, like knowing you are going to have reminders of this horrible thing. You know, if, if you are dealing with PTSD from combat, it's not like you're never going to pass someone playing a violent video game or something. Um, so I suppose it's learning to cope with it. But yeah, I don't know. It's still for me. I'm just like, what exactly is going on in these college curriculums that it's this vivid and this graphic? Because, you know, there's plenty of classic literature that I think uh, can stra- can stir up strong emotions, but it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, generally, it's not very. <laughs> Shakespeare does not get into graphic accounts, for instance. Well, that's a good place to leave things. But before we go, we are going to leave you with a voicemail message left by one of our very kind listeners who disagreed with our takes on Captain Marvel film. Good morning, Daily Signal. Just listened to the podcast for yesterday. Great interview with the president-elect. It was fantastic to listen to and that perspective uh, come through. Anyway, the real reason that I called was the review that Captain Marvel got. Uh, I, too, am an MCU fan, but... 
I take it a little bit differently. I don't go in with any expectations whatsoever. I go in just to enjoy the product that they put forth. I am no great movie critic, but uh, I enjoyed the film thoroughly and actually would recommend it for anybody and, you know, not going to necessarily trash it. It put forward the story overall, even if it was clunky, it still put forward the story. And uh, I thought it did a fantastic job of telling that story. Anyway, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Happy Friday. Bye-bye. And that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or rating on iTunes to give us feedback. Rob and Rachel will be with you on Monday. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.